Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. We're all certainly predisposed in a haunted location to expect to see ghosts. And what I find most fascinating is, does it make us more likely to misinterpret something as being paranormal? Or does it make us more open to the genuinely paranormal? If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month. Plus, access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Let's talk haunted hospitals, asylums, and institutions. I am looking forward to this. Richard Estep has spent the past two decades investigating claims of ghosts and hauntings on both sides of the Atlantic. Estep co-founded the Boulder County Paranormal Research Society and has published uh, two other books on the paranormal, including In Search of the Paranormal. He's a prolific speaker at British and American genre conventions and has appeared in paranormal video segments for About.com and the documentary film The Ghosts of Illich Theatre. Richard is donating, this is nice, he's donating 10% of his royalties from this book, let me hold it up to the webcam, 10% of the royalties from this book to the St. Baldrick's Foundation, an organization that raises money to combat childhood cancer. He lives in Boulder, Colorado. Richard Estep, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you, sir? Very well, Richard. And you're in Boulder, Colorado tonight? I'm just outside... I'm in Longmont, Colorado. All right. And how did you become transplanted from uh, your, uh, are you from London originally? Well, I'm from uh, north of London. It's a place called Leicester. Ah, yes. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're most famous these days for soccer fans, of course. Absolutely. We'll have heard of Leicester City's meteoric rise this week. And uh, we we hide our kings under the car parks. <laughs> That's right. That's where they found sir, uh, the uh, the bones of the remains of King Richard. It is. And you have a, a pretty swell university there as well. We have a couple actually. Mm-hmm. All right. So, how do you find yourself in Colorado? Uh, I found myself in Colorado in '99 when I came out to work for uh, an, an IT company, mm-hmm. and I was married to an American lady at the time. Married to a different one now. They say the first marriage is always for uh, practice, right? <laughs> Speak for uh, yourself. We ended, up, <laughs> we ended up settling in the U.S., and uh, 16 years later, I'm still here. Now, did your interest in the paranormal coincide with your career as a paramedic and volunteer firefighter, or was it? did it happen before? It predated it by many years. 
It's an interest that I'd always had. It's one of my lifelong passions, and it's kind of infiltrated most aspects of my life. But uh, it seemed like a logical progression when the publisher was asking me, what ideas do you have for a next book that I would consider what I did for a living and and take that forward as a proposal. And I, I mentioned in the preamble uh, that if you gain the confidence, and in fact, you don't even necessarily need to know know people in the healthcare uh, profession that well. Maybe you know you just you're uh, you're at a party, they have a cocktail, and many of them are willing, they're they're glad to to impart this information about paranormal experiences they've had. I mean, uh, nurses, doctors, you name it, anyone who works in a hospital. Um, well, you know it's. It's true of all professions, Richard, and I'll give you a good example from just last night. Uh, I have a job as a tour guide. I do ghost tours at the uh, Haunted Stanley Hotel in mm. Estes Park. Right. You know, the, uh, yeah. Stan- yeah, the, the, the Stephen Hotel. King, The Shining, absolutely. So I was conducting a late-night tour last night, and I always like to ask the guests, hey, who are my skeptics, who are my believers, and who's on the fence? So there was one gentleman that had seemed pretty skeptical, and I must have misread him, because at the end of the tour, I was chatting to him, and uh, I said, so, were you skeptical? Were you a believer? Or And have you changed your mind in the last 90 minutes? And he said, no, I walked in a believer uh, because of where I work. I said, oh, do tell, where do you work? And he looked me in the eye, and he said, I'm a mortician, <laughs> and I've yeah. got stories that you would not believe. So, so I said, I've got to ask you, you know, is this unique to your place of work or when, when you guys get together, you know, the morticians have trade conferences and hang out. Right. Do you all have these kind of stories? And he said, yeah, we, most of us have them. Most. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. But, and I also mentioned, you know, it makes sense that if you're, if you're going ghost hunting, the place, you know, the last place I probably would look would be a cemetery. And the first place would be, a place where people are busy living and dying, and that, those would be hospitals and even prisons uh, and, and, and asylums and other institutions. And you I mean, obviously, I mean, you, did you come to that conclusion before you became a paramedic? I think that wherever you find a lot of people living on top of one another, if you will, you find ghosts. So you look at places like um, prisons, hospitals, um, anywhere like that, you have a large amount of humanity. And in both those instances, emotions run high. You know, um, Prisons are more negative emotions, of course. In hospitals, you have both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. You, know, you have the, the most joyous news in the world of new families with a child being born. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, sometimes just one floor up, you have lives coming to an end in a great deal of grief. And it's all packed into this relatively small amount of square footage. Before we get into the hospitals, let me ask you as a paramedic, have you ever had an experience inside an ambulance, a paranormal experience? You know, I have not. You might expect that that would be the case, but um, nobody ever dies in an ambulance. Nobody ever dies. Well, I guess they're not legally declared dead in an ambulance. Is it like Disneyland? Nobody ever dies in Disneyland? (laughs) I hadn't heard nobody ever dies in Disneyland, but you're right. Nobody is pronounced dead in an ambulance. Do you know why? Because you have to have a coroner declare them dead. Well, actually, paramedics can pronounce people dead. Oh, okay. Um, However, we tend to either do that on the scene or we tend to do that at the hospital if somebody stops um, 
uh, if somebody's heart stops on route. And the reason is that uh, ambulances, of course, are extremely busy vehicles. And if somebody were to uh, actually be pronounced dead in one, it would be out of service for most of the day while the coroner comes in and makes sure of the, the legal particulars of the case. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I would so also, most folks tend to be pronounced on scene or at the opposite end of the right. Of the I line. didn't know that. I didn't know that. And and that, uh, this may be an urban legend, but the story is, again, nobody wa- nobody is allowed to, to be declared dead at Disneyland because obviously that would taint you know the whole thing uh, and so they will they are they are flown out or driven out and declared legally declared dead outside of Disneyland proper i can't swear by that that may be an urban legend all right so uh you traveled the world and um uh there's one other thing i want to talk to you about and you mentioned the stanley hotel Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, I saw this on Yahoo News. There was a photograph, a tourist. I don't know if they were part of your tour. Someone snapped a photo. They were down, in their, uh, uh, I think, in the bar area. And there at the top of the stairs, in this photo, the person didn't notice until much later, there is the figure of a woman, diaphanous, uh, a partial apparition, but very clearly a woman at the top of the stairs. Have you seen that photo? And what do you think, if you have? Well, I'm very new at the Stanley. I've only been there for a couple of weeks, so it would not have been on my tour. But I can tell you that um, the hotel gets a large number of submissions of uh, anomalous photographs from guests on a very regular basis. Some of them turn out to be easily explicable, you know, reflections, camera smears, insects, dust, those kind of things. Right. Others are harder to explain away. And um, the tour guides there, the experienced ones, will make a point of taking a look at them and seeing if they can find a conventional explanation, but they're not always able to. All right. Um, the most haunted hospital in the continental United States would be what, in your estimation, Richard? Well, I kind of have a vested interest in this, in that it's the subject of an upcoming book. So as I did try and visit as many of the hospitals in this book as I possibly could, and if I were an international jet setter with an unlimited budget, I would have visited them all. As it was, I wasn't able to do that, but I was able to talk to people that have been uh, inside them all, pretty much. But here in the States, I was able to hit um, a number of the facilities. And I think my favorite one is the old Tuella Hospital just outside Salt Lake City in Utah. Hmm. And when you look at the way this place is laid out, it is uh, a former community hospital that closed down uh, 2004, 2005, something like that. Now, the second half of the building at the back is still a retirement home. The buildings are connected, but they are um, separated by locking doors. And then to the right of them is the town cemetery. And what happened with this old hospital is it lay derelict for a few years and then was bought by private owners and they did it with the purpose of making it a Halloween-style haunted house attraction. So if you can imagine, when the uh, doctors, nurses, and staff upped and left for the last time, they left everything behind. And when I say everything, I mean the x-ray suite was left, the beds were left, all of the equipment in the emergency room, scalpels, you name it. My. I, I don't so, know. That's kind of, don't you think that's kind of distasteful? They want to turn in that into a, Hollywood, yeah, into a Halloween attraction, and it's still attached to a senior's home? Well, there's a real division there of, of the, the folks in the um, K-12 
care facility do not get into the haunted house attraction. And that facility is actually moving early next year. Okay. So I can see why some might think it's distasteful. But, you know, let me give you the flip side of this coin. I ended up moving into that hospital for a week um, in Halloween of 2015. And most of the um, people that work there are kids that volunteer from the local community. You know, so in certainly in a lot of relatively small towns, there aren't too many healthy things for the kids to do at night and at a weekend. Right, right. But a lot of the community has come together, and this is a passion project for them. They're immensely proud of it. They, they create characters, they audition, and the scariest characters that they can come up with make it into the haunted house. Okay, you won me over. Now, did you move in there as part of an investigation? I did, and here's why. I initially was writing Haunted Hospitals early last year. I uh, started writing it in January, and it was published in January of this year. So I knew that I had to have the book finished by the summer. And so I'd heard about um, the old Tuella Hospital, and I contacted the owners and said, guys, do you mind if I bring a couple of investigators and perhaps uh, spend a night or two there? So they said, sure, come figure out what's going on for yourself. So I liked that. There was no sales pitch. There was a come find out what you can. So we made the drive from Colorado, and it was 1,000-plus miles door-to-door each way. In to- I'm sorry, in total, 500 miles each way. That's a long night. So we drove out on the Saturday morning, spent the night there, went through their archive of EVPs and photographs and other evidence, and we were pretty tired and really didn't have a very active night at all. And I said, you know, this this hospital's great, but it has a scary reputation. It hasn't really lived up to it. And they said, well, Richard, here's the problem. This is abandoned for basically eight months of the year. You came off season. If you were here in October, we have over 30,000 people coming through here, and they're getting the fright of their lives every single night. And that's when our ghosts are most active. Why don't you come back afterwards? I said, well, you know, I've got to have the book in, but I would be interested in learning more about this case. It's a long way to come for a night. Will you let me have the keys for a week? Because to me, that's the real acid test, you know. Are you willing to give this place up for a week and let me see what I can find? Right, right. And they had no hesitation. So I took a team of paranormal investigators, paramedics, and nurses. And we went out there for a week beginning on Halloween night. Are you sleeping in the, the old hospital beds? So, not quite. We um, we took hotel rooms in the area. Okay. We worked in shifts. Yeah, there are some things even I won't do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, but we did spend uh, pretty much every night in the hospital itself. And we, we would lock it up. We would seal it up. We wired the place for sound and for cameras, so we knew we were the only people in there. And after Halloween night, of course, we would wait um, for the the guests to go home, the visitors, and then we would investigate the activity in the place. And it was immensely active. Ah. So it ended up getting its own book. All right, so we'll look forward to that, but can you tease us a little bit? What what did you what did Certainly. you see? What did you hear? So perhaps the most fascinating thing, I had wanted very much to try an experiment I'd never heard of being done before. So I also teach EMTs and paramedics as part of my living. And we have these very realistic mannequins, 
You know, they have functioning airways. Uh, you can put IVs in them. You can right. push fluids and drugs through them. So I was able to borrow one and some medical equipment, including a cardiac monitor. And on our road trip, we took this mannequin out with us. And we ran cardiac arrest simulations in the old emergency room. And the resident spirit in there that has been reported many times over is a physician, an ER doctor. And the mediums that have been through all tell a very similar story. They've said that this doctor is very much, it's my way or the highway. You know, I don't tolerate fools. I don't tolerate incompetence. And I don't tolerate disagreement. You do it my way or we're going to fall out. So I got my crew together, and these are very experienced medical providers, and I said, I think we should do two cardiac arrest simulations. And the first one, we'll make sure that we run it like the Keystone Cops, like everything is going to go wrong. You know, We'll miss all of our IVs. We will get annoyed with each other. We'll start being um, uh, snippy with one another and snarky. You know, We'll see how the atmosphere goes, but nothing's going to go right. And then the second one will run perfectly, just as we would run a real cardiac arrest. So the idea was I would act as the physician for the first cardiac arrest, and then my colleague Jen, who is a senior paramedic, would run the second. So we run this first cardiac arrest, and oh, it's bad. I mean, we had people tripping over IVs and pulling them out of the arms. Nobody could get a drug dose right. If we could make it go wrong, we did. You know, and we became very catty with one another. When we were finished, I pronounced the patient dead, threw down the stethoscope, and very theatrically slammed out of the doors um, in a huff. We took a break, and I realized I'd left my radio down in the security room. So I said, guys, I just have to go get my radio. And it's important to understand, Richard, that every door in this facility is wedged. They put a chuck underneath it because it's bad form to have one close on a, a guest, you know, a customer. It's a safety hazard. Right, right. So chuck them all open. I walk down to the security center, look at all the cameras. Nothing's moving in the entire hospital. I walk back, walk through this doorway, and I hear this almighty slam. And the door has been thrust as hard as possible against its hinges two inches from my back. And it seemed like a very personal, very pointed, how dare you speak to your teammates like that, ah, you horrible little man. Right, right. If you've ever been in an argument, Richard, where either you or the other person is so angry they've slammed the door as they left the room, right? that was exactly what it sounded and felt like. Was that caught on the security camera? It was not caught on camera because that part of the hallway wasn't covered. This is a huge hospital and you, right, you have right. to your spots okay but we examined the scene afterwards and the wedge had actually been pulled out and moved four feet away remarkable so the chalk had been pulled out and so i uh if you if you talk to my uh, paramedic colleague jen she was actually my boss at the time and she said richard i've seen you in life and death situations you've never even broken a sweat right now you're pale and you're shaking are you okay and i said well the difference is jen I've spent 20 years investigating cases like this. This feels very targeted and personal. Yeah. And so one of the nurses I can imagine. And said, you made someone angry. I mean, that's the vibe we're all getting. You know, you, you probably need to earn some forgiveness. So 
Jen talked to me and said, I'm happy to run this second simulation perfectly, but I think you should do it. And I think you should let whoever it is know that you are capable of running this like a professional with respect. Right, right. Now, and so that's exactly what we did. So the second one went smoothly, and uh, did you get a pat on the back from the great beyond, or what happened? We, we didn't, but what I did, when we left, it was 5 o'clock in the morning, and I've never felt really this ridiculous, but I, I apologize to thin air, because I'm a big believer in not provoking, um, but this was more of an attempt to stimulate the energies in the environment. Right. And I wanted to let any spirits present know that no disrespect was intended to them. So I offered a very forthright apology and ate some humble pie. And was that the end of it? I mean, was there any other activity? Uh, any EVPs? Any orbs? We got numerous EVPs. And one thing that's particularly fascinating is that most, most of the, shall we say, darker activity takes place in the older wing of the hospital. But there is one particular hallway where shadow figures are very active. We were engaged in a spirit box session with an SB-11. Are you familiar with that? Well, I, I know, uh, for example, like Frank's box, uh, these uh, yeah. these two-way radios. Uh, they're sometimes called Frank's box. So that's what you were you were handling, one of these. And this is where you sort of you scan very quickly in between channels on a radio. Um, and basically you're hearing a lot of white noise and static and so forth. The idea is, I guess, the spirit can somehow manipulate the uh, the little snippets of voices and form sentences. Is that the idea? That's exactly the idea. Now, we found that we were getting some uh, very abusive comments coming through the box directed towards one of our female nurses. And this is not a lady you want to push around. So she stood her ground, having a very strong character and personality like most nurses do, um, but uh, some very, shall we say, lewd suggestions came through the box. Mm. And another thing that was really interesting was that we had a voice coming through that was mocking my English accent. Wow. <laughs> and that kind of disturbed a few of the people present. That was one just snarky doctor. Listen, Richard, uh, stay put. We'll come back, continue to talk about the world's most haunted hospitals. My name is Richard Serrett. Thanks for hanging out. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS60. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
Richard Estep uh, with us, the world's most haunted hospitals, and Carl, he's in New York City uh, and works in a hospital. Good evening, Richard. I've worked in several uh, institutions. I've uh, worked in a, attached to a psychiatric hospital, and I, I'm an engineer. I'm not a healthcare professional. I take care of the building systems. All right. Um, working downstairs in the powerhouse for an old psychiatric center, working on a pump with a technician, we looked up, we saw a man walk right through the wall, just like he was walking around looking at the equipment. And it just, we both saw it. Mm. And I've actually gotten pictures of, uh, like, the hat man, like a shadow hat man. Right. Um, in 2009, the day after Christmas, I took a picture, and there are three distinct figures in that picture. And I, I've actually had them where they've actually saved me. I had a steam leak, and there was a figure holding the steam off of me. You could see the shadow of the figure in the steam. I wasn't getting burned. And it was steam that was so high pressure, it could have cut you in half. Wow. So you had numerous incidents yeah. or occurrences with these apparitions yes are you able to name the hospital or i uh, would prefer not to. okay no fair enough i and respect I that i also work at another um i've been several different facilities through my years and the current one the old part of the hospital the pictures of the old doctors move on the walls you go down the wall go down the hall the pictures turn sideways or tip on the wires, mm-hmm. like off-center, then you come back, and they're straight, or they're the other way, but they're, you know, it's like somebody playing with them. Right. That's me in the afterlife, because I'm a picture straightener. Now, it drives me crazy. So that's me my, <laughs> on the other side, if, uh, you know, if that fate awaits me. So uh, let's get Richard Estep in here, and I'm curious about uh, a remarkable story, Carl. Thank you for that. This, but the the uh, these apparitions saving him from a steam leak and photographic evidence to boot he says would love to see those pictures carl if you have them on a jpeg you could send go to my website strangeplanet.ca there's a contact page there uh, looking forward to it carl thanks for that great story thank you richard estep what do you make of that well i think it's a, a terrific story and um you know i always love when a witness does not want to identify their uh, the the location Carl's obviously not looking to get famous. He's not trying to identify his uh, facility. He has no reason to make this up. Right. Well, so, you know, these are the kind of credible witnesses that I talk to day in and day out. Well, when he sends that picture, and I'm assuming he will, I'll share that with you. Uh, and, Please. And then maybe the two of you could, uh, if that hasn't been covered in this book, that uh, whatever, wherever that asylum or hospital is, uh, maybe, you know, this could be in uh, the second volume. Uh, I want to talk about this abandoned hospital in, uh, it's an air base in, in the Philippines uh, that just has people so terrified they just won't go there. And that's the old Clark Air Base Hospital in the Philippines. Right. Yeah, so it's abandoned now. And it's hard to realize because that entire area was covered in volcanic ash. It's one of the reasons that the base was shut down. But at its time, the inception of the hospital during the height of the Vietnam War, it was a state-of-the-art hospital facility. And it met the needs 
of thousands of American service people, um, including their spouses and, and children. You know, you had a lot of American military kids born there, um, and it was a, a medical wonder during it during the day. But Clark was one of the first stops, usually the first stop, for wounded servicemen coming back from combat in Vietnam. So you had this um, continuous stream of deeply traumatized, both physically and emotionally, um, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines coming through that facility. And it's around that time that the first ghost stories started getting recorded. Did you travel there? I was not able to do that. But I talked to a friend of mine who is an urban explorer who has been boots on the ground inside Clark. And uh, another friend of mine who's with Ghost Hunters International, Barry Fitzgerald, and he'd spent the night in there when they were filming an investigation. And I talked to him, and it's kind of interesting, the disparity between the two. Uh, Robert Joe, the urban explorer, he said, you know, it's a creepy location, but the atmosphere wasn't that bad. And I think what most haunts this area is psychological. On the other hand, Barry Fitzgerald said that he had such extensive activity in there, I couldn't write him a big enough check to spend one more night in that building. Now, does that have more to do with the investigator and their physiological, emotional state, or does it have to do with mere happenstance? Uh, you know, one went there, for whatever reason, there wasn't a lot of activity, the other went there, and there was more activity. Well, I think it's important to make the distinction that the uh, gentleman who said that he felt quite comfortable there was an urban explorer. So his whole thing is that he likes to find these out-of-the-way abandoned places and explore them. He is not looking for anything paranormal, whereas, of course, the paranormal investigator is. So you make a great point, Richard, that I think that we have predisposition here. If you are going to a location that you're told or believe is haunted, you're more likely to react to everything that seems potentially out of the ordinary. You're more likely to think it's paranormal. And it's very easy for me, um, as I'm doing the interview, to kind of armchair quarterback. But he was the guy that put boots on the ground, you know, and stayed there all night and was telling me about the fact that a couple of the investigators nearly came afoul of some poisonous snakes. You know, it's a oh, very yeah. creepy environment. Sure. And, and dangerous. Means, yeah. yeah, very much dangerous. And there are holes in the floor that will take you down um, uh, into the basement to easily break a bone or and so on and so forth. But I think that we're all certainly predisposed in a haunted location to expect to see ghosts. And what I find most fascinating is, does it make us more likely to misinterpret something as being paranormal? Or does it make us more open to the genuinely paranormal? That's a great And that's question. a debate that we could have all night. Right. It, it is a great question. And I, I genuinely believe that some people are just wired a little differently so that they... I mean, if we were talking about a spirit world that's based on vibrations, mm -hmm. uh, you know, vibration rates, then I, I, I believe some people are simply wired to be able to perceive those and some are not. I think that there's a, a lot of truth there. And one thing that fascinates me is that when you look at cases where, um, let's say you have a large bunch of people, uh, 20, 30 people, and they're in a historic location, like, say, Hampton Court in England, you know, Henry VIII's old palace. Right, right. And you'll hear five or six of these people see an apparition. 
and the majority of the group does not. What is it about those five or six people that made them able to experience this, the ghostly, when the others didn't? You know, is it the way that their brains work? Is it genetic? Is it some biological factor? Is it psychological? Is it just that they were more attuned, as you said, to those vibrations? We still don't know how people see ghosts. In fact, seeing may be the wrong word entirely. In fact, I sometimes wonder if we don't perceive them in an entirely different way. Right, right. Now, the not the urban explorer, but the other, the the the, uh, the paranormal investigator that went to Clark yeah. Air Force Base. What did he experience? Well, Barry went with the the team from Ghost Hunters International, and they had a very busy night. Um, they found the basement to be extremely active. They were seeing shadow figures down there. They're hearing footsteps all around in this deserted building. They're hearing all kinds of whispers and other noises. Um, and, and it was extremely active for them. All right. Um, you mentioned uh, England, Hampton Court. I want to talk about uh, St. Thomas uh, Hospital oh, in, yeah. in London. And there's a, it's not necessarily the hospital grounds uh, we're talking about, but there's a bridge sort of adjacent to the hospital uh, where people have seen apparitions. I mean, for generations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's it kind of interesting you should bring this up. So St. Thomas's Hospital is one of London's oldest, and it sits directly across the River Thames from the Houses of Parliament. Uh, and the bridge that's, that, that separates them both has long been renowned to be haunted. And, and just on a quick tangent, I just watched it explode today. I was in the movies checking out the new uh, Captain America movie. Oh, is that right? So yeah, I saw the trailer for uh, the Independence Day sequel. Right. And I watched them blow up St. Thomas's, the Houses of Parliament, and that bridge. There you go. So, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that whole part of London has its ghost stories, the Thames being no exception. And the ghost of um, a barge has been seen that always comes downstream, passes under the bridge, and never comes out. But also the spirit of a, a suicide that has been seen jumping into the waters and a number of me- uh, men have gone in after this particular suicide and attempt to rescue her and are never able to find her. There's another hospital in London, I don't know if it's St. Thomas's, but there's a, a ghostly nurse in grey who has frightened generations of uh, nurses and doctors. Uh, is, that is St. Thomas's. That is St. Thomas's. Tell us about the grey nurse ghost. Well, what's interesting is I don't know that she's um, she's scaring them, a friend of mine actually encountered her, uh, so the, and she's famous, the uh, ghost, not my friend. <laughs> okay. So the, the deal with St. Thomas's is it's where Florence Nightingale began her first nursing school. Ah. So it's believed by many that the, the grey lady is Florence Nightingale's ghost herself, which I think is extremely cool. N- nothing sinister then about her. She, uh, no. No, looking over and people. And I think that... Uh, when you look at some of the uh, ghosts of nurses and physicians, in reality, these are very caring people. I think that healing is a, uh, a calling, not just a profession. And it's amazing to me, researching this book, how many of them are still on duty years after their deaths, you know? Right. It's almost as if that desire to minister to the sick um, doesn't leave and that their spirits might perhaps stick around. Uh, there's an interesting distinction, types of, types of ghosts. There's the ghost that seems to be um, kind of an echo. Uh, you know, the ghost is seen in the same spot at a certain time, coming down and descending the stairs. 
uh, almost as if there, there is no consciousness there. Residual. A residual. And then there are ghosts that uh, that seem to have consciousness. They're interacting. They're leaving EVPs. They're they're leaving lewd remarks on Frank's box. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about that distinction. I mean, w- w- what type of ghost is more common? And uh, it's, you raise a great point, Richard. And we tend to use the word ghost as a catch-all. You know, we tend to mean the spirit of dead people. For the most part, if we say ghost, that's what we mean. But in reality, I think it's more of an umbrella term. And I think it encompasses a spectrum where at one end, you have something that is no more intelligent than the image on my TV screen tonight when I'm watching Gotham. You know, it just replays over and over again. These are events that happened a long time ago and have somehow been recorded on the environment. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have these entities which are able to interact with the living, you know, both physically. Um, the Grey Lady, for example, has brought drinks to dying patients when they're thirsty at night, has done the job of a nurse, and can actually manipulate their environment. So I'm not sure we're entirely dealing with the same thing. The poltergeist is something different again. And which type of ghost have you had the most experience with? I think the majority of cases that we're called in to investigate are intelligent or seem to be intelligent. Um, the residual ones tend to be found at locations where you've had a very traumatic event or someone has loved the environment very much. Let's say, um, for example, they haunt their favorite house because they were very happy there during their lifetime. So somebody spends 30 years in a house that they love. They somehow imprint their image there like a natural recording. And then the susceptible can come back and, for want of a better term, replay that tape, you know. Richard Estep is with us. The book is The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. Just have about two minutes. Just give us a little taste of the story. It's this Italian island, and it's referred to by locals as the gateway to hell. This, is, yeah. this has to do with plague victims. It does. Pavalia Island, just off Venice. Are we going to talk about that now? Just, just for, a, just to give us a, a hint of it, because we have about a minute so, and a half here. We're looking at um, a location which was a burial and dumping ground for the corpses of victims of the Black Death um, off the coast of Venice, and there are some pretty hairy legends that go along with that, to the point where the locals will still not uh, take boats out to Bavalia, and the police actually have a have it cordoned off. Is that right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Are you itching yeah, you to actually, go there? Do you have a, a burning desire to visit? I wouldn't have been able to go there, at least not legitimately. Um, but people, are, shall we say, have a reputation for bribing right. locals to drop them off and then come pick them off the next day. Right. And if I could do it legitimately, I'd spend a night there. Do you know any investigators that have made it there? The, the guys from uh, Ghost Adventures spent a night there, and it was an extremely active night. And I don't think they would go back. Wow, well, that's saying something. When you scare off an investigator, someone who does this for a living, you would think mm-hmm. they would relish an opportunity to go back. And when they they swear up and down, that's it. <laughs> I'm hanging up my my ghost hunting uh, coat or whatever. You know, you really you've mm-hmm. found the uh, you found a hot spot. Well, Richard, uh, thank you so much for this, and we look forward to your upcoming book on this uh, hospital in uh, in Salt Lake City. And um, good luck on all future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. 
A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>